This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. We're going to move on into the next session and uh, section, and this is a, a vital section here as we talk about the centrality of death. And so, if you'd like to turn to Luke chapter nine, Luke chapter nine, we've got a bit to get through in this this morning, so I'm going to keep moving along fairly fast. Um, so I know that uh, some of you have been trying to take notes um, on it. I'll apologise if I move ahead too fast for you this morning. Um, praise the Lord. Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 20. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. He strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. It's very specific. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Imagine being in that audience in that day and hearing those words, take up your cross, because we don't, we don't understand that. We, we throw around sayings like, that's his cross to bear, um, and we don't get the concept of that because this was about taking on a death sentence. That's what the words uh, have the meaning of. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, that he took Peter, John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And the Greek is and continually spoke of his decease. That's what the Greek is. That's what they discussed. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened, as they were parting from him, that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. 
Hallelujah. Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for this morning, Lord God. What a joy it has been for us already, uh, Lord, and and we just praise you for uh, the opportunity to worship, praise and magnify you. Lord, let us continue in this vein throughout this morning, Lord God, and on into the week that we would continue in a worshipful state of living day in and day out. Let the words of this message this morning be that of truth and let them penetrate deep into our hearts, Lord, that our lives might be altered, that we live them to the glory of your name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let's return to, we we mentioned some negative considerations and uh, uh, last week and just give a very neat summary just in four Bible verses that we've mentioned. Romans 6, we were buried with him by baptism into death. Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Galatians 2 says, I am crucified with Christ. And Galatians 6, 14, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. So what do we learn here? We learn that as Christians, in God's sight, this is how God sees us upon placing faith in Jesus Christ, that he sees us as having died with Christ when we accepted him as Saviour. But there's more to it than this. There's also the demand that in practice we continue to die daily, and this is the emphasis of Christ's words when he tells the disciples to take up the cross, that they are to take up the cross daily. So this is a living, if you wanted to use the modern vernacular, living in the moment that each day we live in such a way that we're dying to self for the glory of God. And this is the, as we've termed it, or as I've termed it, the negative aspect. Um, It's not negative in the sense of, you know, the world's view of positive and negative thinking uh, or any such shallow stuff like that. But this is the aspect of that, that incorporates death and this understanding of dying. Often, Scripture cuts right into the hard stuff of the normal life as we would view it. And the Word of God is definite that in all things, including the hard things of life, we are to learn contentment. This is the very rundown or very brief summary. Learning contentment can be a very difficult thing. There's no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, it's a difficult thing for people. But also we are to be thankful for all things and in all things. Uh, Ephesians 5 and 1 Thessalonians 5, you can look those passages up. This is where the idea of self-mastery for a Christian really begins. And, and it's, it's not by locking ourselves away from the world and, you know, that, that um, uh, you know, someone who struggles with a, an, an area of sin in the world is therefore going to lock themselves away in some kind of monastic devotion so that by doing that, 
they're away from the temptation and then then they're walking in victory as a result of being away from the temptation. That is not what self-mastery biblically is about. It's to be in the world but not of the world. And this is the real battleground. This is where you and I engage in spiritual battle on the, in the most basic of levels. This is where it's at. You know, oh, we're going to go and take the world for Jesus. Awesome. But this is where God has you and I living our lives day in, day out, and that's where we learn the practice of self-discipline, the practice of walking in the Spirit day in and day out. This is about saying no to the dominance of things, we might term that materialism, and to the dominance of self. We've also noted that the scripture tells us to love mankind. Not only This is not only in a romantic or idealised sense, it's not... Um, Uh, just a a sense of uh, emotion. Uh, You know, it's not a whim uh, that that is often pulled on. That kind of thing is often pulled on by ads that are put on television. Maybe there's a famine somewhere and so they put on an ad that features some starving children and the heart is emotionally tugged when we see those kinds of things. But this is a love toward all mankind and that the idea of loving people according to the Bible is one that is tied into an understanding of sacrifice. And so it is not actually love in the biblical sense if it comes without cost. Sometimes in... um, Uh, fundraising drives, for example, Royal Children's Hospital Appeal and and things like that, there may be um, notable donations that can sometimes be in the the millions of dollars from extremely wealthy people. And when you break it down to a proportion of giving, it's actually quite a small percentage. And, you know, I'm not begrudging the fact that people give large amounts of money. That's wonderful. But... It comes down to a small percentage often, often way lower than just the working class bloke or, or, or woman who gives something out of the, the little that they have. It's the widow's might. But how does this look practically? Sometimes we get confused about love, but loving others looks like you and I loving in such a way that we are not envious of other people. And and so we might think, well, what's the connection between those? It, It would be false not to point out that this is a meaningless word in many aspects. The word love, it's a purely romantic word. It's a utopian word. People throw it around. It's in more songs than you and I have time to listen to in the rest of our lives. No matter what culture, people write about love and and, uh, movies are made about it and books are written about it, all kinds of things, all 
pulling on, on, on people at emotional levels and often missing the whole point of love is that love gives out from one individual to another at a cost to self. And this is something important for us to see. So there is this negative aspect to love that love is going to cost you and I. If you are going to love another person, it is going to cost you. Jesus explains uh, some of the negative aspect of love. Luke 10, you can read also in Matthew 22, but in Luke 10, uh, verses 30 to 37, I'll go back to verse 25 if you are following in your Bible. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And you can kind of picture the scenario, can't you, is that he's, he's got his answers ready, he knows he's dealing with a sharp character here, so he asks the question and he gets the answer that he's ready for, and so now he's going to trip Jesus up. And just who is my neighbour? Surely it's not those Romans, you know. Then Jesus answered, And said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down the road. He's the first stab at the religious people. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, another stab, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan... This is a half-caste, the mongrel breed, as far as the, uh, the, this Jewish man is concerned. When he arrived at the place, uh, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. This is a stranger, don't forget. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Who showed the neighborly goodness? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, go and do likewise. So what is... The negative aspect of love, no one would like to think of love as being negative, but the negative aspect is that love costs. That's the reality of it. Love costs. It costs the Good Samaritan. And he said to the innkeeper, if you spend any more, I'll repay you. So in order to have this attitude right, We're going to have to learn to say no in very certain and definite areas. It is no to the dominance of things and it is no to ourselves. 
Because you and I know that we see someone in, in need as we're driving along the car and we go, oh man, I just want to get home for dinner. It's been a long day. What's happening here? Self is ruling the heart at that time. So we are going to have to learn that in order to live the life of love, there's going to be an overcoming of the negative aspects of no to the dominance of things and no to ourselves. Now this is about not about stirring up emotions within us. Um, the command to love God and love our fellow man requires this, this heart within us that we say no to materialism and no to, to self. And this gives real meaning to existence. I can't help but think that, that in our day and age in which we're in, as suicides among young people rise... I mean, they're rising off the scale compared to 30 years ago. Compared to, if we go back, you know, here we are at Armistice Day. If we went back 100 years ago, young men were lining up. My my grandfather, uh, he was at least of age, but his little brother joined up at 16, almost 17. Both uh, came back from the war, World War One. But they lined up to give themselves for a cause that had meaning about it. And I can't help but think that as the educational system and as the modern philosophy of, of, of a push for personal happiness through materialism, that get the things you want, these things will make you happy. That's the modern message. And if you're not happy in your relationship, end that relationship, get another relationship. This will make you happy. All this push for personal happiness through, through looking after self and through materialism is taking away the real sense of meaning and, and purpose in existence in people's lives. And as a result, we see a real rise in suicide rates in the day and age in which we're in. And, you know, definitely not the only things, but um, it's definitely in there. Even in lawful things, things that don't break the law of God, I'm not to seek my own above other people. That's the idea of love, is that I could be doing something that's completely permissible, but if I see a need, the the good Samaritan was... On his journey, he's, he's doing his business. He's not breaking any laws. He's not committing any sin. But he sees someone in need. And so he goes out of his way, spends time and money and, and potentially detours to an inn, whatever it may be. It's cost him something. And he had to go on a further journey. So he said, when I get back, I'll repay you whatever it's cost. You see, the world in which we're in is in so much trouble. But from man's perspective, if we have either one of two responses, because this is a hard position that Scripture puts us in. The word to love. 
to love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. This puts you and I in a hard position because it calls upon us to sacrifice personally. That is the nature of love as the scripture presents it to us. So either we romanticize the word and claim that these statements of love for our neighbor and love for God are just there to make us feel good and we can say, oh, I love God and I loved God on Sunday and, you know, um, I love God in my way, all these kinds of things. And um, we can kind of make it a, a conceptual idea and one day we'll be with Christ and, you know, we can do that kind of thing. Or we can face these words as the Bible gives them to us and we can see that the scripture pushes us into a very difficult place on many occasions with this compulsion to love as God calls us to love. We can't read verses like we've been reading or or be challenged with an issue like this with with any other response than than one of surrender to God. You know, we're surrounded by a world that says no to nothing. Everything that comes along, the world is saying yes to. And you can see this now in, in the insanity that's pervading our society, all this Um, uh, gender fluidity and all this kind of thing. It's all a part of this generation or two that have pursued everything they've wanted in order to feel satisfied with life and it's still not enough. And so the boundaries keep having to be stretched until we're into this insanity whereby these days uh, people who say, for example, uh, one particular... A social commentator on YouTube um, said that it is wrong to give children as young as three uh, hormone blockers. Now, now you and I would, would say, like, of course it's wrong. That's insane to say, for someone to say. But this is being pushed that it's better to start them at that age so that any hormones that develop, if they're early, going into their puberty years or whatever it may be, their body is not going to be pushed in a direction that their mind is not going in. And so he was demonetized off YouTube for saying that because that's criminal to say such a thing. The biblical mentality stands opposed to the success and achievement mentality of the world, to the current trends of the world. The biblical mentality is opposed to this. The world measures worth and success by wealth and influence, and this is not how the Bible measures wealth and success, or otherwise uh, Jesus, apart from uh, uh, influence, Jesus was a failure because he was not a wealthy or successful person, but he made some influence. Amen? So when we're surrounded with this sort of mentality, this this way that the world thinks, one that's rooted, rooted deeply in the psyche of the world around us, in modern psychology, all this kind of stuff, one that's centred on 
human worth uh, and success measured by wealth and status and, and influence and looks and all these kinds of things, then suddenly to be told in the Christian life that there is a strong negative in the Christian life that that is pushing against the world. The world is pulling on you to to satisfy yourself all the time. The scripture comes along and says, no, no, no. You are to sacrifice yourself. Love is sacrificial. You are to take up your cross and follow Jesus. And this cuts across the, the world's view. And then the world says things like, oh, this is why every Christian I've ever met is depressing to be around because they're always talking about a cross. Or they're always talking about such negative things, all the things you can't do. I want to find happiness through the things I can do. I want to explore my boundaries. Man, no, they're not exploring their boundaries. They jumped those boundaries a long time ago. Boundaries mean nothing to them. And so, this is why the gospel, properly presented to people, is a hard thing. Because it challenges people with the way they're living and the sin they're pursuing. And it challenges them to stop that sin. Trust in Jesus. Be born again. Admit that you you are not the Lord of your own life. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't feel hard to us, then we're not really letting this speak to us. Because the command to love others is a challenge. I remember several times going to visit um, Courtney uh, in the rehab in Harvey Bay uh, and I could see among the leaders there, uh, you know, it was often a challenge to love those rehabbies. I used to call them the inmates, you know. It It was a challenge for the leaders to love them because there were all kinds of behaviours that were taking place in that place all kinds of attitudes and and, uh, different behaviours that these people had learned that was extremely oppositional to everything that the rehab centre was trying to do with those addicts. You see, we're in a culture now, and think about this, we're in a culture that says it's wrong to say no to your children. This is the prevailing thoughts that if you say no, you're repressing them. I'll tell you, if your kids come around to my house and draw on our wall, I'm going to say no to them. And I'm going to say no to you probably too. (laughs) Next time you call to come around, no. Our society holds itself back from nothing. That's what it does. It's about satisfying self. If I go in this direction, I can get satisfaction. I'll I'll be able to find what pleases me. Any concept of a real no is avoided as much as possible. You know, we who are a bit older may feel that this is the the younger generation's fault, um, but. Uh, Really, the younger generation have learned this from somewhere. We're the ones, you know, there's a saying that what is taught in the schools of one generation is lived in the society of the next. I think it goes something like that. Or taught in the schools become the policies of the next generation. 
is maybe the actual uh, quotation. And so, you know, and I mean this in all seriousness, not as a saying, God help us for this next generation, because this is being taught the the evil of the safe schools program that's being taught in this state is going to become policy in the next generation. I mean, you know, we should be fighting to get this out of the schools as soon as possible because who knows where that policy is going to lead. We've produced all kinds of ways of thinking and, uh, you know... All any absolutes are challenged by people, and you know, uh, yeah, everything has to give in to people's personal desires. Now, you know, people are becoming the gods of their own lives, and uh, and heaven forbid that you and I should stand in their way. I saw a quote some time back that says. Brands need to stop trying to tell people they are amazing. (laughs) I mean, just want to vomit right there, but it gets worse. And spend more time doing things that inspire people to tell each other how amazing they are. So, as people, we've really moved on, haven't we? You know. So now we don't just need to. feel amazing because a brand is telling us we're amazing, just do it, you know. Now we've got to constantly go around and tell people that uh, you are the centre of the universe. That's what's happening. You're the centre of your own universe. Parenting is becoming more and more of a challenge as a result of the generations that have led into today. The environment of not saying no is now the the natural disposition. Don't say no. Because since the fall of man, we naturally don't want to deny ourselves anything. I mean, the fall was a demonstration of resistance to being told no. That's what it was. Have everything, but no, not that tree. Not that tree. I'm not going to be told no. I want that tree. Thumbing our noses at at God. We do everything we can to make it all about us, you know, to put ourselves at the centre of our own universe and this is where we naturally want to live. It's, it's the natural disposition that fits so well in our minds. You know, we wake up thinking about ourselves and our lives and all this kind of thing. But the biblical push to love is to, from the beginning of the day, is to say, God, how can your will be done in my life today? Lord, how can I live in such a way that my life would demonstrate your love to other people today? And beloved, let's be real here. That is more of a challenge to us each day than we're really prepared to think about. Because we do 
think about ourselves so much. It's been around for a long time. It's, as I said, this is the crux of the fall. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. She wanted to be like God, be the center of her own universe. She didn't want to be told no. It's, it's pretty simple. Have everything, but not that. No. She put herself at the center. And, and this is that, again, this is that unwillingness to say no to this pull of things and to say no to self. This is the opposite of self-mastery. She wanted what she wanted. We must begin to understand that there is a tug of war in our lives. A Christian is at war, not just against spiritual forces, we're at war with self. I think in the 80s and 90s, and you know, there are spiritual forces at work to make sure that we are um, failing in the war with self. But in the 80s, 90s and early 2000s, there was a lot of focus on spiritual warfare and there was a, a lot of incorrect doctrine and incorrect teaching around that and people were focused on spiritual warfare and going up on top of Oliver's Hill and looking over Frankston to cast down spiritual powers and all different kinds of things. There's a, a powerful pull, much, and uh, this is fundamentally more important to the individual because there's a powerful pull from deep within trying to appeal to you and I to pursue what we want individually. Trying to get us to attribute personal meaning in our lives and worth to the things we have and to the things we do that are self-serving. So we're at war with self. We're fooling ourselves if we're not feeling this battle that we are at war with ourselves. We're fooling ourselves if we're not recognizing that. Because true spirituality, as Jesus declared to his disciples and those listening, is to take up the cross daily. This narrative is the grand negative of the Christian life. Take up your cross. Hey, become a Christian. You can take up your cross. That's not how people present the gospel, is it? You know, Become a Christian, man. God healed my marriage. He healed my mind. I won the lotto. You know? all kinds of benefits in that, that people talk about in the Christian life, but, but people don't talk about what it costs them. And there are people in this room that because you became a Christian, people left you. Family members, marriages that, that fell apart because one person became a Christian or people who lived l lives of loneliness within a marriage because... They had got saved. Sorry about the grammar. 
living lives of loneliness within that marriage because of salvation. And people don't talk about that. That's not how the gospel is sold to people because they're trying to make it an appeal to people for a numbers game. But the way Jesus presented the Christian life was to say to people, hey, follow me, take up your cross daily. And to that generation, they knew exactly what that meant. They could have responded in unison. What, you, you want us to die willingly? Because that's what it means. But the normal perspective today of modern man makes no room for that. Modern man is too busy buying you know, jet skis or whatever it might be, anything at all. To make himself feel happy. But if we shift our perspective, the whole things the whole thing begins to change, and that's what we will do. This is the issue taught by Jesus in our opening text today. Luke nine twenty three If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 24. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Think about the first half of that sentence. Let no one seek his own. So who, who can seek their own? No one. But each one, the other's well-being. I mean, these are strong challenges to us. They're very strong challenges because this is the life of selflessness. Luke 9, 30 and 31. Behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease. And as I mentioned before, the Greek is that they continually spoke of his decease, of his death, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Up on the mountain, having this amazing spiritual experience and the conversation is about his death. That's a picture of glory that we probably seldom think about. So a quick review. Take some time to study these passages. Luke 9... Romans 6, Galatians 2, and Galatians 6. That's just a bit of a summary of where we are at in terms of some of the scriptures that will help you uh, with this. Saying no to the dominance of self and saying no to the dominance of things is where our personal battleground is. And this is the antithesis 
of the world's thinking. The world's thinking is opposed to humility. So this is saying no to the dominance of self and, and the dominance of things is actually a pathway to humility. That's in line with humility. It's, it's opposed to how the world views things. The world is opposed to humility. There's a pattern to biblical Christianity. Christ demonstrated this for us. And this pattern is vital because we're going to be repeating this for some time. Here's the pattern. Rejection, crucifixion, and resurrection. We're going to look at this pattern in detail because if you want to live the Christian life, sorry, I'll go back to there. That's the Christian life in a nutshell. Woo! Hallelujah! Rejection, crucifixion, resurrection. Come to Jesus, be rejected. But you you know, the reality is that you and I know people or have experienced that ourselves. When I first heard about Jesus and and I had a false conversion, I was just a young teenager, went home and told my parents I'd become a Christian. It's an interesting response, man. You know? I can't repeat it to you because of language censorship from my dad. It's an interesting response that the world gives. Don't talk about that. You can fill in the blank around here. As a as a 13-year-old, that was a bit of a shock because that hadn't been told to me. Give your life to Jesus, you'll go to heaven, was what was told to me. Who doesn't want to go to heaven? I didn't know that, that when you do that, that then people are going to say, no, none of that religion around here. And so this pattern is the pattern of life for genuine believers. And a true presentation of the gospel helps people to understand this early, that they know that coming to Christ involves counting the cost. And sometimes that cost is high. And there are many people around the world today who are paying that cost with their lives. And we will look at that pattern in detail over the coming weeks. Praise the Lord. I hope that has been beneficial to you today. But I would urge you to consider each morning, you know, as you have a time of prayer and devotion, make those two points something to pray about. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. Love your neighbour as yourself. And in doing so, then make those other two points about the dominance of things and the dominance of self, making those points of prayer that, that Lord, help me not to fall into this trap of materialism. Help me not to fall into this trap of me being the centre of the, my own universe. But that I would 
selflessly serve you. Help me to take up my cross and follow you. It's a dangerous prayer. But that is where real meaning is in the Christian life. Is there, right there. In those points. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, Father, we thank you this morning, Lord God. Thank you for sending your son for us. Thank you that even as he taught his followers that they would have to take up their cross to follow him, that he himself took up that dreadful cross and went all the way out into that rubbish tip outside the city to be crucified in front of onlookers and scoffers and mockers and even those who mocked him there he prayed and he said not to hold it as a charge against them for they know not what they do Lord that is our example in your son that is the real example of love the kind of love that we spoke of earlier greater love has no man than this that he lay down his life for his friends. So we praise you and we thank you this morning. We ask you, Lord, that you would help us to walk in the example of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.